This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Have you ever wondered, as you look at the news, you read the news, you hear the news, as you see what's happening around the globe, but also as you look at the the pain that often you walk through in your own life. Have you ever wondered, where does evil come from? Or maybe you've asked it like this, why do bad things happen to good people? Or maybe you've thought, man, God, why, why don't you intervene in a way, man, if I were God, is there anything that you would change if you were God? Is there anybody you would rescue that you feel like is not being rescued? Is there, is there any pain that you feel like is just hovering over people that you love or maybe in your own life that you feel like, if I were God, I would, I would remove this, I would eradicate this? Where, where does this evil come from? Throughout history, it's been the pursuit of mankind to try to determine what the answer to that question is. And different people have tried to answer it different ways. We know what Scripture teaches, and as followers of Christ, we, we know what we believe about how evil entered the world. But th- there is in Greek mythology the story, and it is just a story, of how the Greeks believed that evil entered the world. Apparently, there were two brothers that offended Zeus, the Greek mythological god Zeus. And, and so he decided to get back at them. He would create woman. Hey, it's, it's not my story. It's Zeus's story. So don't blame me, ladies. But he decided that's how he would get back. And so he created this lady. And when he did, he, one of the brothers married this lady. But to this lady, he gave a box. And he said, you can enjoy all of the earth. You, you can go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do, enjoy life, but do not ever open this box. And by the way, here's the key. I'm going to give you the box. I'm going to give you the key. Don't ever open it. Now, it's one thing if you give me a box. But if you give me the key, and day after day, she walks by that box, every day as she's getting ready, every evening as she comes in from the day, that box always there, until in Greek mythology the story goes that one day she finally opens the box. She takes the key, puts it in the lock, and turns it, and the box is open. And in that moment, all manner of evil entered the world. According to Greek mythology, it's called Pandora's box. Her name was Pandora. In a similar way, even though that's just a story, in real life, there is a box inside of you and a box inside of me that that we can open. And if we do, all manner of evil can invade our thoughts, and if not stopped, It can manipulate our motives and control our desires. It's a box that we glance at often. It's a box that we're aware of. And it's a box that, if we're honest, I have opened at times and you have opened at times. It's important to understand in the text we read today who Jonah is. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I read passages in the Bible, and and it's, it's very easy to sort of crack on some people in the Bible sometimes. Like, come on, you you didn't know that, you didn't see that. Sometimes we forget that while we're reading and we get to read the end of the story, they did not know in the moment the end of the story. They were living life just like you and I are living. They didn't know how it worked out. We we see Moses at the edge of the Red Sea, 
and God parts the Red Sea. Moses, we, we read about it, but in that moment, Moses didn't know what happened. There are things in Scripture that we find like this and we discover, and it's important to understand who Jonah is. Jonah is a prophet of God. That means he was picked by God to speak for God. Jonah is a man of faith. Jonah is a man that in much of his life has been obedient. Jonah is a man that God has used in the lives of many people. And Jonah says no to God. Because it does not matter, even if you're a person of faith, even if you've been used by God, even if you love God, you still have the ability to say no to God. Jonah says no, and you know the story I talked about earlier, the first three chapters of Jonah. And finally, he agrees after the well spits him out and he goes to Nineveh and the city is turned around. And it's interesting in chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Has there ever been anybody that God has blessed or answered a prayer that to you looking at it, you know them, and to you it just seems so wrong. There are people that we feel like, man, God, you, you should be answering these people's prayer, and you should be working in these people's lives. And God, I know this person, and as much as you can tell, none of us are perfect, but their, their heart is true. And God, you should be answering their prayer, not their prayer. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. There are ever things God does or allows that to you, if we're honest, it just, it just seems wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home, that this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. God, I, I did my dead level best to stop you. I knew this was about to happen. I, I did everything I could to pull the plug on this, God. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. The very thing that Jonah loved about God in his own life. Remember, he was the guy that said no to God and was thrown on the ship, got thrown overboard. A well swallowed him. The well spits him up. God rescued him. He should have drowned. He should have been dead. He said no to God as a prophet of God. That's a death sentence. He should have been dead. But verse 2, notice, you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Isn't it interesting that we love the characteristics of God in our own lives? But there are some people we wish God would not be that way with. I don't mind God loving and forgiving me. In fact, sometimes we feel like we're entitled to that. Do you ever find yourself giving your resume to God? God, you know, I go to C3 and I give and I serve and I'm faithful. And here's what you need to do because of that. But then we look at people that we decide are not as good as us. And isn't it interesting we define good as us by whether or not they believe the same things we believe. And whether or not they live the same way we live. Whether or not, whether or not they vote the same way we vote. We want the love and the goodness of God and the blessings of God in our own lives, but we don't want it in the lives of people that we don't like. It's a human condition that can invade our lives. It's the God, I, I want the good things from you, but I, I don't want to share the good things with people that, that I've categorized or that I've labeled or that I've decided don't deserve your goodness. I, I wonder in your life, who are your Ninevites? At your office, on your street, 
Who are the people that you've decided they're too far gone, they're too undeserving, they're too messed up, they, they think too wrong, they, they believe the wrong things, they vote the wrong way. Who are the people that you've decided don't deserve the love and the grace and the mercy of God the way you've experienced it? Verse 3, now Lord, take away, from my, take away my life, for it is better for me to die. That, 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 that's some pretty strong resentment. God, what you just did and how you blessed them, just kill me now. Just take me out. It's, it's, how, it's how you Giants fans feel every time the Cowboys win a game. It's, it's over. <laughs> I just had to. It's a condition I have. It is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? You. The one who's supposed to represent me, the one who's supposed to speak for me, the one who's supposed to know me. And I said, hey, you need to do this in your life and go over here. And you said, no. The one who was on a ship and got thrown overboard and I rescued you with a fish, and the one who finally obeyed but with a bad attitude, is it really right for you, Jonah, the one who just said no to me? You haven't even given the Ninevites the opportunity to say no at that point. Is it wrong of you to be so angry? There is nothing like angry church people. Did you ever notice that? I grew up in church, and I, 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 there are some people, man, it's one of the reasons I love C3 so much. If, if you're like this, you hide it well, because in the life of C3, I don't see this, but there are some people when I was a kid growing up that just, they would talk about loving God, but they would do it like they were mad about it, and they would talk about the grace of God, bless God, it's been a good week. Man, if, if, if you love Jesus, you need to tell your face about it, because everything you're communicating is that you just hate life. Some of the greatest people I've met, I met in church. My closest friends, I met my bride in church. That's how we met in high school, going to the same church. Some of the greatest people I've met, I met in church. But also some of the meanest people I've ever met, I met in church. That's because the enemy has no problem tending a church through people. Take away my life. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. How often in life do we live in a wait-and-see mentality? I'm going to wait and see what happens. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Now, the most two, important word, two of the most important words right there, God provided. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Aren't we so happy when God does what we want and makes us comfortable? And if we're not careful, we chase comfortable more than calling. If we're not careful, we chase comfortable more than conviction. If we're not careful, we chase comfortable more than we chase God. Jonah is happy when he's comfortable. And it is part of our human tendency to be happy when we're comfortable. But when we're not comfortable... Like verse 1, we get angry with God. The Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided. There's that word again, those two words again. A worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided. A scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah is somewhat moody. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
It is. Man, the audacity to talk to God like that. Is it right for you to be angry? It is, God. Don't you see what happens in my life? Don't you see how you ignore me? You, you have no problem blessing whistle britches over there, but in my life, you just let me roll through stuff like it doesn't even matter. Man, I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to live for you. But, but yeah, it, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It is a dangerous thing to say that to a God who can make that happen. See, Jonah has a condition. Jonah's condition is the same condition you and I can have. Jonah has no problem taking good things from God. He just doesn't want to share them. Jonah has no problem with the compassionate God we read about. No problem with a God that is slow to send calamity, slow to send judgment, it could be translated. No problem with a God that's going to be patient and long-suffering. No problem with a God that's going to give Jonah time to work through his own issues and his own sin and come to a place because of the grace of God that everything's okay. He has no problem with that. He just doesn't want to extend that or share that with anyone else. Who, who are your Ninevites? The people that you feel like don't deserve the same grace and love from God that you experience. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. You do understand what he's saying is, hey, hey, Jonah, Jonah, every good thing you have in your life comes from God. And somehow we get in this place where we feel like, not that we're blessed by God and grateful for the grace of God, but if we're not careful, even as a follower of Christ, the longer you follow Jesus, you can get to the place where you feel like God owes you something. You can get to the place where you feel like you're bringing your goodness to the table. You're, you're, you're new and improved. Yeah, you met Jesus and he did it, but you've kind of done the improving, improving because you've put in the work. Hey, it is important to remember, every good thing in your life comes from God. None of it comes from you. Every good thing in my life comes from God. None of it comes from me. And you might say, well, man, I'm, I'm a self-made person. You don't understand the work that I put in, and I, I deserve this, and I've built something, and I, I've accomplished some things. Yeah, you have. But let me ask you a question. Who gave you the gifts and the talent and the mental acumen to accomplish what you have accomplished? And who, who if they took away oxygen, could stop everything you think you're doing. Every good thing in your life comes from God. But we can slide into this place like Jonah did, where we think we deserve something more than other people deserve because we forget goodness comes from God. We forget that we're not entitled to anything. We forget that grace means grace, which means I do nothing to achieve or accomplish God's goodness in my life. It is all a gift from him. Verse 10, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, God's saying, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? That's for the PETA lovers right there. There are 120,000 people and a lot of animals. It's okay if you love animals, you're good. But, but God says, shouldn't I love the city of Nineveh? Should I? There are 120,000 people every now and then. Every now and then I have people say to me, and sometimes other pastors say, what, what, why do you... Why do you put up on social media how many people get saved sometimes on Sundays? Why, why do you throw up that number two or five or 11? Are, 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 you just, are you just into numbers? Is it all about numbers? If you're new to C3, let me help you. Absolutely, freaking yes. 
Absolutely, yes, because every single number has a name, and every name has a face, and every face has a story, and every story matters to God. God deeply loves people. Have you ever checked out your Bible? When you say to me, are you just into numbers, what you're saying to me is, I don't read my Bible. Have you seen how many times God counts? Because every person counts. 120,000 people, God just turned their hearts, changed their hearts, extended grace to them, even though they didn't deserve it, and it makes Jonah angry. I remember we were visiting Texas a few years ago where I'm from, and this was not the church I grew up in. It was a church across town that my parents were attending at the time, and I remember the pastor got up, and the, the thrust of his message was he was angry at people that he saw mowing their yards on his way to church. And so he talked to the church people about how bad people were that were not attending. Now, part of what was striking to me at the end of the service, I heard people saying to the pastor, oh, you're, you're so courageous. We need courageous. Cora courageous? You just talk to a safe crowd. Jump out your car and walk up to that man mowing his yard and tell him what you just said about him. Let's see how courageous you are, Jethro. If you think you're all that and a bag of biscuits, you, you go try that. But see, part of the problem, that, that's the attitude of Jonah. We look down at people. We talk down to people. i got to be honest with you. Growing up in church, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. and I'm, I'm still in therapy. I'm working through it. But, but I grew up in church, there, there were a lot of good people there, a lot of, a lot of people that meant really well, but it was a, a more traditional church in a lot of ways. And there were some people there that were highly judgmental. They, they, they were like Jonah. They were like that pastor that talked about people mowing their yard. Maybe if you had a life-giving movement that built lives instead of tearing people down, they'd want to come instead of mow your yard. I mean, how bad does your church have to be that people would rather be out in the heat mowing their yard than come to your church? But I've... I've never wrestled with looking down at, at people that don't know God. That's, that's not my Ninevite. I've never struggled. I've never looked down my nose. I, I've never thought less of that. That's not my struggle. My Ninevites are highly religious, obnoxious people. And you know what? God loves them just as much as he loves me. Because we all have blind spots, and I know there are times that I can be like that as well. I struggle with the people that make it hard to reach people for Jesus because they know some people that say they know Jesus. I wrestle with highly hypocritical religious people, and I struggle when it seems like God blesses them, and I get frustrated when it seems like things are going well for them. And that, in my life, is just as much sin as in the life of the religious people that look down at people that are not. We all have our Ninevites. Who are your Ninevites? 120,000 people. And I love the phrase, I love the phrase in this verse where he says, God speaking, who cannot tell their right hand from their left. What does that mean? It's a symbol of compassion. They're confused. They don't know what they're doing. They're messed up. Yes, it, it may have began with some of their own decisions and their own choices, but they've actually gotten to the place where in their thinking they have no idea what's up or down. They don't know what their right hand, their left hand, they're confused, they misunderstand, and they're having a hard time getting a grip on life because they're struggling through life. They, 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 they cannot tell their right hand from their left. It's a picture of compassion. One of our kids, when they were much, much younger, 
Parents, I, I don't know if you ever have this situation in your home. If you have teenagers, sometimes teenagers, um, yeah, sometimes teenagers, we can just leave it right there. Sometimes teenagers, which are awesome, you've been one and I've been one. But every now and then, one of your kids, that there's just, it's just for a season of time, it's just like oil and water. And it's just, you, you find yourself in, in regular conflict with that child that you deeply love. But you find yourself thinking, I brought you in, I can take you out. This is not, I mean, you just, you love them. But I, I, I thought to myself, I'm a pastor, I know how to do funerals, and I'm pretty good at it. We can handle this. But you, you just, you, you, it's World War III. And I remember one time, Angie, Angie said to me, listen, you need to start viewing this child in those moments like they're four or five years old. Because a lot of what you're saying is right, but you're not factoring in a lack of maturity in certain areas. And because of that, you're missing some of what they're saying that's right. When we view people, not for who we think they should be, but understanding everybody has a name, and every name has a face, and every name has a story, every face has a story, and everyone matters to God, and every single person you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by God just as much as we are. And life is not about being right and wrong and winning arguments and overcoming obstacles. Life is about loving Jesus and loving others and having compassion for people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. I don't know if the primary way I would describe Jonah, I, I don't know if it's hateful. It's probably more mindful because he has his reasons. He could fill pages with, with lists of how undeserving the Ninevites are, how unkind they are, how many people they've hurt, what they've done in their past, pages. But he gets more caught up in what they deserve than what he deserved, how quickly we forget. See, we forget, and Jonah forgot, how loving God is. Verse 2, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Don't you want a gracious and compassionate God? And should not we want that gracious and compassionate God, not just for ourselves, but for everybody? Slow to anger and abounding in love. It means overflowing with love, unending love, deeper than anything on a human level. A God who relents from sending calamity. A God who pauses from sending judgment that is fully deserved. See, when we forget how loving God is, it puts us in a place where we can sing about amazing grace while never extending it. When we forget how loving God is, it changes how we think. Become a Christ follower and you're overwhelmed with gratitude for the grace of God. This unbelievable, unexplainable, unlimited, unending, all-sufficient grace that God has shown us. We, we get to know God personally. He invites us to call him Father. But aren't there people sometimes that we don't think deserve that? We have our categories and our labels people to us that don't deserve grace, people that don't deserve God's love, and we forget how loving God is. Ezekiel chapter 33 says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, God speaking, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. The people that you and I think deserve to go to hell, 
God is doing everything he can to keep them from going there. And part of what God wants to do sometimes, the people that we think deserve to go to hell, God has often strategically placed us in relationship, and they are our employer or our neighbor, or they live in the area, or they're an extended family member, and what part of what God is trying to do to keep them from going to hell is for you to love them and show them grace when nobody else will. Difficult people are difficult. And it's not hard to not get along with difficult people. The most immature toddler can do that. But there is to be a maturing of our faith where we view people the way God does. They're confused about their right and their left, and they need to know God. And sometimes I meet people who say, man, I just, I need to get out of there. You don't understand, man, what my boss is like. I just can't take it anymore. I need to get out of there. You know what would make a better boss? Your boss knowing Jesus. (laughs) Maybe God has put you there to show what love looks like to somebody that most people feel is unlovable. To show what kindness looks like to somebody that people feel like is, is, is never kind. Maybe God is not trying to move you somewhere else. Maybe he's trying to move you to reach your boss and show the love that you're supposed to love. Often we abandon assignments far too early where God has strategically placed us in relationship and given us the opportunity and entrust us enough to take that opportunity and love people that are difficult. The heartbeat of God is for people. And if there are any people that I don't have a heart for, then I don't have the heart of God. God had a heart for me before he changed me. And we need to have a heart for people before they change. See, God, God has this unique habit. He's always done it. God has this unique habit of inviting the wrong people to the party. He, he's always done that. He loves to turn people around that others think should not be turned around or should not be given a chance. If you don't believe it, just look at the family tree of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, if, you've, if, you've, if you read your Bible and you've tried reading Matthew, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, There is the genealogy of Jesus, and you read all of these names, and it's very easy to think, why is this even here? Well, not all the names are there, but some are there, and perhaps part of the reason that we read about the genealogy of Jesus is because in verse 5, Rahab was in the family tree of Jesus, and she was a prostitute. In verse 5, Ruth is mentioned in the family tree of Jesus, and she was a Moabite, and any ite was an enemy of God's people, the Jewish people. In verse 6, David, King David, was in the family tree of Jesus. Oh, he was a king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was also an adulterer and a liar and a murderer. And it's interesting, when David is mentioned in the family tree of Jesus in verse 6, it doesn't just say, and David begat so-and-so. It says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. A subtle reminder to the Jewish people. Oh, yeah, the guy who David had her husband killed and lied about the whole thing and tried to cover it up. God makes sure to make that notation, hey, in the family tree of Jesus, there's this guy. And God invites Rahab and Ruth and David to be in the lineage of Jesus. God invites because God loves, and his grace chases after people that we don't love. You've got your list of people that are categorized. They're your Ninevites. Could it also be that you're on somebody else's list? (laughs) Could you be on somebody's list? Have you ever deeply hurt somebody? Have you ever been unkind? Do you ever have those cringe moments where you you see someone and you know and they know and you know that they know and you're embarrassed about the past and how the interaction went and there's that tension because they have seen the worst part of you. 
You may have a list, but you're probably on a few as well. I know I am top of the list on quite a few people. But, but God, God didn't care. He still loves you. He still wants you. He still invites you to be a part of his family. So we would do well to focus on how blessed God has blessed, how much God has blessed us and how much he loves others rather than how undeserving others are because there is somebody in the world that thinks you're undeserving. Not only the line of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, but who he hung out with. Matthew, a tax collector, Zacchaeus, who was ripping people off, the woman at the well who was living with the fifth man and he was not her husband, God invited all of them. Paul, Paul, who was Saul, Paul, the self-proclaimed enemy of Jesus, the one who was trying to murder Christ followers, then God rescues him, changes his life, and uses him to write almost half of the New Testament. God says, I'm going to invite you and I'm going to use you. Hey, let that be a reminder. Those of you that you look back at your past, and you don't like you, and you wrestle with you, and there are things you're ashamed of, hey, always remember, God not only invites you, God wants to use you. There's nothing you've done in the history of your life that is so bad, God demotes you to a second-class human being. God deeply loves you as much as he's loved any human being that ever lives. God invites you, and God wants to use you. That's who he is. The longer you're a Christ follower, the easier it is Forget how loving God is and to forget who God wants to love. And so here's the question. The question I would encourage you to ask yourself today, the question I would encourage you to ask yourself throughout this week, especially when you interact with those that are your Ninevites, the question is, am I more like Jesus or Jonah? In my interactions, in my decisions, And how I pray for them, am I more like Jesus or Jonah? This week, in that moment, when you answer that phone call or when you have that interaction or in the middle of that conversation, when frustration and anger begin to fill you, am I going to be more like Jesus or more like Jonah? As you learn more of the Word of God and you grow in your faith and you become more committed in your faith and you discover principles about how to live life, Please guard your heart against becoming angry or judgmental toward people that don't live their lives like that. Why in the world do churches expect people who don't know Jesus to live like they do? Why do we expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they do, to believe like they do? We've got to be loving. We've got to be compassionate. And the church has lost credibility in many places in our culture, and we've lost influence. Because far too often we wear the name of Jesus while acting like Jonah. God said, Jonah, God has no problem sending you to someone you cannot stand. God sent Jonah to people Jonah couldn't stand. And Jonah was correct in what he knew about them. They were wicked. But he was wrong in what he thought about them because they were loved by God. So what if God wants to use you to change the people you don't like? What if instead of avoiding, you began praying? What if instead of ignoring, you began influencing? What if instead of arguing, you began understanding? What would your extended family look like, or your street, or your neighborhood, or your office, or your classroom, if you and I were more like Jesus than Jonah? So how do we how do, we do that? I mean, practically, that, that's cool, awesome, I've got to process that, but what does that look like on a Monday or a Thursday? 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Are you quarrelsome? I don't, I don't think so. 
You want to know how to know if you're quarrelsome? Today at lunch, ask your family, am I quarrelsome? Now, your spouse will get a little tense and be like, oh, I don't know. But your kids, they'll be honest with you. And the younger they are, the more honest they'll be. Are you quarrelsome? How do you define that, Dad? Well, difficult to get along with, looking, you know, stirring up stuff, fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad. That, yep, yep, yep. That's you. Are you quarrelsome? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Are you kind to everyone? Able to teach and not resentful. Who are you resentful for? Who, who are your Ninevites? Opponents. We live in a, a time where we think we have more opponents than we ever have. In, in my lifetime, what has been a more divided nation than it's ever been. And I'm passionate about what I believe, and I believe there's right and wrong, but at the same time, I not only believe, I know that God calls me to love people I disagree with, and that's to be more important to me than the right or wrong of different opinions. Opponents must be gently instructed. You know what that means? <laughs> Let me help you. I'm going to save some of you about an hour and a half a day right here. Listen. Opponents must be gently instructed. What does that mean? It means your Facebook rant is not changing anybody's mind. It means the crap you go off about on social media, nobody cares. You're not changing any minds. The only people that are drawn to it are people that agree with it. That's it. And you've already got a small club. If you want to increase your influence, if you want to have greater credibility, if you want to be able to influence more people, cut that junk out. You're not changing anybody's mind. And if you do it, don't tell them you go to C3. Invite them to some other church. Pick one. I don't care. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's how we deal with our Ninevites. The person that you wish would burn in hell all the way to the person that maybe you just disagree with. Joe Biden. Donald Trump, for all of you, one of those names, you've got your talking points down, and you've got your statistics, and you've got what you're passionate about. I, I just have to ask you, and listen, this, this, one, this one's hard for me, to, hard. Scripture says that as a follower of Jesus, we're to pray for our leaders do you pray for them more or do you bash them more? And the people that agree with them. And you and I are called to love them. Opponents must be gently instructed. And you might find that in the instruction, you might learn a thing or two. Because none of us have arrived. You, have you come to the place, have you lived long enough to understand that one day you're going to stand before God in heaven and realize you were wrong about some stuff? <laughs> one day you're going to stand before God and say, oh, snap, I never knew. You love the Giants, never knew. You're wrong about some stuff. Gently instructed. That, that means listen and discuss, don't argue. Arguing creates division. Listening invites understanding and credibility. Arguments don't change people's minds. I've never seen somebody win an argument and win a person at the same time. I've never seen it. Conversations bring people along. So what we need to do as a church, 
I hear people that brag so often, they're so proud, man, I in that conversation, I brought the heat. Maybe we need to stop bringing the heat and start bringing the light. Maybe it would help people if we started to remember that God loves that person that we're talking to and getting angry with. And verse 24, be kind to everyone. Because kindness changes people more than facts change people. Kindness changes people more than reason changes people. Kindness changes people more than intelligence changes people. Kindness changes people more than beliefs change people. And the gospel shared with the attitude of Jonah repulses people. But the gospel shared with the attitude of Jesus changes the world. So this week, am I more like Jesus or Jonah? Who are your Ninevites? Are you more like Jesus or Jonah? If you've been Jonah, hey, listen, you're a follower of Jesus? Hey, you're better than that. You can do better than that. You can be better than that. You can't go back in time and change old interactions, but today can be a new start and, and a fresh start and a line in the sand where from this moment on, you live loving God and loving others. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the reality of your love for every single person. God, I thank you this morning for the fact that even though I'm on some people's list, you still love me. You've still given me grace and mercy. And Father, I pray it'd be a reminder to each of us that we're to extend that throughout the week. I pray that we would be more like Jesus than Jonah, that we would represent our Savior well, and that you would grow our faith and grow our compassion for people and help us to not turn inward in our faith, proud of who we are, Help us to always be proud of who you are. Help us to boast about you, not about ourselves. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is to give your life to Jesus. You can't be more like Jesus than Jonah if you don't know Jesus. So I want to encourage you today. Man, I can't think of a better time than right now. I can't think of a good enough reason not to. I want to encourage you this morning to pray a very simple prayer. And give your life to Christ if you've never done that. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of this moment. Just pray this prayer. 